Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, and this is the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, September 9th. And our guest today is Colleen Francis, who is calling in from Canada. Welcome, Colleen. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be here. (laughs) Well, it is great to talk to you, and I am really excited to hear about your book. But first, I'd like to hear a little bit about you and uh, what got you to the place where you wrote this book. Is this your first book? So just give us a little bit of a thumbnail about you. Oh, sure. Um, Well, 11 years ago, I started a sales consulting and sales training company called Engage Selling. And um, a few years into that, I was at a networking event, actually my industry association, the National Speakers event, and I met a guy who focused on communications. And he had written a book called Just Be Honest, which I thought was a great book. So I read it, loved it, and said to him, you know, we really should adapt this to salespeople because my approach to sales training has always been um, be nice (laughs) (laughs) because people want to buy from people they like. And honesty, of course, is part of that. You know, so many salespeople get tarnished with that awful brush of, um, you know, the the shyster, snake oil salesperson of, you know, days of yore. And so we have to work really hard to create these open, honest relationships. And so I thought it was time – to put those thoughts together and write a book on how to build long-term uh, open relationships that, that lead to great business profits. Well, I'm always interested to hear also just kind of uh, the process about how you went through this. So did did you write the whole manuscript and then go out and seek a publisher? Did you self-publish? How did you actually get the book on the shelves? That is a great question, uh, and no, <laughs> and it's also the million-dollar question, right? <laughs> we wrote a proposal which felt like a manuscript. <laughs> um, so we did a pretty detailed proposal, chapters, summaries of the chapters. I think I might have written the introduction or one of the chapters, not in its entirety, um, and used an agent to shop the proposal around. Um, we had. Um, we had a remote but somewhat existing relationship with um, one of the editors at Wiley just because of other authors that we knew, and we right. ended up accepting um, a deal from him. But we did shop it to a number of um, publishers and got – I think we ended up with three different offers. Very nice. You know, it's so funny. Yeah. I interview – I would say – half of my authors that I interview are from Wiley. And I don't know whether it's because their PR people are just more aggressive because we we uh, typically look for our authors on um, Help a Reporter Out. Uh, okay, yeah. And I, I think that the PR people that, that represent Wiley's authors are just, they must live on there because uh, I, I can't tell you how many of the authors uh, tell me that, that they ended up going with Wiley. 
Well, they also put, they're very good to authors, and, you know, they, they publish, um, they do a, a great job with their editing and their design, and, and they make the, um, you know, the offer's pretty attractive as well. So I think they're doing a good job of getting out there and finding new authors and getting books published. Well, I love the cover of your book. And, and, oh, thanks. Uh, I, I'm always a sucker for that. I mean, I, I was telling uh, uh, our guest last week that, you know, that I tend to buy wine that way too. You know, I, I stand in front of the, the shelves and, and if I'm in the mood to try something new, I'm just a sucker for a great wine label and I'm the same way with books. I'll go to the bookstore and, and uh, you know, sometimes books just jump off the shelf and, and people don't realize how critical that is. I, I have also seen some horror stories on on uh, on, on book uh, covers as well. So uh, speaking of horror stories, I was looking at your um, your website, Honesty Cells, and your blog, mm-hmm. and noticed that one of the things that you do is is to highlight horror stories as it relates to people who aren't selling honestly. And I, I think I'd actually like to start there because you obviously sure. had a bunch of those in mind uh, so that you could come up with that. So tell, tell me a yes. little bit about that. Well, you know, I decided when we wrote the book, I mean, sure, I have my fair share of horror stories. I mean, I think most people do, unfortunately. But when I wrote the book, um, or as we were writing the book, I went out to a lot of clients to ask them, uh, you know, tell me about a time when either you or you were, you know, you were lied to or maybe in a, you know, moment of weakness you did some lying. Right. <laughs> and um, we started to collect these stories and, uh, and um, com- you know, compile them with our own personal experiences. And it's amazing when you start to share them how many other people say, oh, hey, that happened to me or, oh, that happened to me or, uh, you know, oh, I hate it when that happens. And so we thought we'd put it right up front and just say, hey, you know what, let's um, let's reveal, I mean, chapter one of the book is the top ten sales hall of shame. And, you know, there's some doozies in here. Everyone has their has their favorites, um, you know, um, and they range from consumer products to, to business products. It's always amazing to me how much lying has gone on. But, you know, if, what was interesting is, we didn't write the book because we believe that a lot of salespeople are lying, um, you know, point blank, you know, cold, hard lying. Um, we we wrote it because we really wanted to teach people how to build open relationships. Um, as a result, we got these really great stories. <laughs> right. My favorite, uh, which is just awful, um, came from a, a friend of mine who he just runs an amazing sales business now, but his very first sales job was selling um, office equipment, um, lots right. of photocopiers, and he his first big sale was to the Canadian Institute of the Blind, the CNIB, and when he came back to the office, his boss said to him, well, let's just ship them a used one because they'll never be able to see the difference. Oh. I mean, if that is not such an awful story of, um, of an unethical or dishonest sales manager. I don't oh, know what it is, wow. but the good news is um, Brent quit a couple of weeks later. Wow. Yeah. That yeah, so amazing. that's, I know. Uh, the one that happened to me that I just loved, um, I mean, I laughed about this weeks. It was um, a blistering hot day here in Ottawa, probably 100 degrees in the summer, plus humid. 
And I got a random phone call from somebody, um, a telemarketer, asking me if they had, if I had received the free samples of raw beef that they had shipped me <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> I'm thinking, said to them, it's a hundred degrees out. Like, do you expect me to believe that you're sending raw beef in the mail? And of course, they weren't. They were expecting people to say. Oh no, I didn't get that. But of course, I like some. And then they say, "Oh well, we have a truck in your area, which you know that that whole oh, wow. ploy." But yeah, I just thought this is bad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so tell tell me, uh, you know, I mean, you start out the book with an introduction of you know why another book on sales. I mean, surely everything under the sun about sales has already been written. So why yeah. the honesty topic? And, and you know, as I looked at the title the first time, I thought, well, you know, isn't this obvious that, you know, in order to sell you have to be honest? But clearly, because of these uh, Hall of Shame members, uh, it, it's not. So, you yeah. know, how, how do you use honesty and be genuine and, and not, you know, because when you tell somebody you're being honest, it, it smacks of being dishonest, right? Yeah, isn't that isn't that ironic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, most people will most people will at least say they believe the old adage, um, you know, that people buy from people they like. Um, but still, you know, salespeople have to have a high drive um, and you know, lots of enthusiasm and confidence, but they also have to be very goal oriented. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people get into sales who are extremely goal-oriented, but they start putting their goals ahead of the relationship. Um, they, you know, they strive to hit the money and they focus on the money so much that they actually put that um, ahead of the relationship, um, which then causes them to do things to win the sale in the short term, but erode the relationship in the long term. The other thing that I noticed as a um, as a salesperson, I, I was uncomfortable with it as a salesperson, but I didn't really know why until I started studying it as a consultant, is that the sales methodologies, the sort of popular sales methodologies that are out there um, that preach a one-size-fits-all, you know, do step one, two, three, four, and five, or follow this formula, or A, B, and C, are inherently creating closed-off relationships. And, and I believe that they're inherently disingenuous because they put the methodology in front of the relationship. So what happens is a salesperson is sitting there thinking to themselves, oh, I better go to step five. But if the customer is you know, already at step eight or still back at step two, they don't allow the customer to go back or the salesperson right. to go back and engage in the relationship. And so things erode. Sales go away because we're not in sync with the buyer and their personality. So honesty for me means you know, sitting down and having a, a dialogue, um, treating the buyer like a peer and open, you know, asking opening, um, open-ended questions and leading questions to, to get this conversation started, but not being so focused on yourself that you're either shooting for the money and nothing else or so right. wedded to your methodology that you can't engage. Hmm. You know, I think it's so interesting that you say that because I, I see so many people, including myself, who uh, I only get involved with, you know, products and services that I really, really believe in. And, and those things that I have built in my own companies, 
you know, I am the classic who is so in love with my product that quite often I'm so focused on that I'm not focusing on listening to the customer. And oh. you know, one of one of your chapters is about being honest with yourself and I was wondering if it if it has to do with with uh, you know, seeing yourself in the same light that a customer sees you. Uh, that's a you know that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. When I was um, when I was writing that chapter about being honest with yourself, you know I was I was thinking about all the lies that salespeople tell themselves. Um, you know, starting with my own sales career, you know, uh, well first of all, uh, those people who are trying to sell products and services that they're not in love with, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've laughed with audiences and said. Um, you know, it's like a vegetarian in a, in a, uh, owning a butcher shop, right? You know, chances are they just, you know, they can't be, unless they're completely dysfunctional, a good salesperson because they don't live, they don't believe in the product. Um, how can, how can you sell with passion? <laughs> and passion exactly. and enthusiasm are so important. So there's that. Um, but there's also the, um, the lies we tell ourselves in terms of what we have to do every day. Um, you know, I used to sit at my desk when I was selling insurance and I'd look at a stack of business cards um, and I'd tell myself lies like, oh, I don't have to call them today. They'll still be at their desk tomorrow. They were almost like um, a security blanket for me and so I stopped doing right. the work that needed to be done. Um, you know, salespeople who forget that the sales they're getting today are a result of the hard work they did, you know, six months ago. And so if they stop doing that work, then six months from now they won't have any sales. <laughs> right. Um, it, you know, or I think the other big one is some salespeople get so enamored with their product, um, and I see this in the technology world all the time, that they just really believe um, that it will sell itself. It's the if we build it, they will come sort of. Um, methodology. I have also resembled that remark. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) many of us have. Um, You you need to get the word out. You need to promote. You need to ask questions and find buyers. Um, And so, you know, those are those are some of the things, uh, some of the lies that people tell themselves. And then the big one is still many, many salespeople just don't understand the direct connection between um, your attitude and your performance or your attitude mm. and your and your sales results. And that's a big one. Um, we often see uh, salespeople, you know, we're notorious for our highs and our lows. And if we don't get really honest with ourselves about how that is affecting our ability to build relationships, then we will not ever succeed. Right. And I, I suppose I should step back and, and ask a little bit about the, the premise about honesty being the best policy for closing sales and actually growing the business because – um, again, I, I know in my own life, I, I never, ever saw myself as a salesperson. But for the last 15 years, I've had a consulting firm, and you know, every day I was having to sell my capabilities. Um, but actually asking for the business and, and having you know, honesty and, and a high degree of ethics as, as a part of our, our mantra of who we are as a company, I knew was important, but you know, actually asking for the business and, and closing the business based on reputation is something I instinctively know is right, but obviously uh, yeah. there is enough that you wrote a whole chapter about it. So tell me about that. <laughs> you have been reading the book. 
Um, well, there's, um, you know, there's a couple of things. And, you know, you, it, it's interesting. You, you started by saying honesty is the best policy. And we got a lot of pushback on that, if I could just kind of take a step back for a second. Right. Um, because some people believe that that isn't the case. Um, that you shouldn't be honest all the time. And sometimes being honest uh, is not right. Now, you know, you might not want to say, oh, you look terrible in those pants or that color is ugly on you. You know, we don't believe, I don't believe that that's being honest. I believe that's being brutal. Um, and honest, being honest with someone doesn't mean you have to be cruel to them. <laughs> um, but I think it, in sales, um, the most critical thing is to remember that, I mean, anything you do that could potentially erode the relationship limits your ability to sell, to have a long-term relationship with that client. We know that the secondary, third, fourth, fifth, um, sixth, sale um, is the most profitable. And I, I, you know, I, I really believe what my business mentor, Alan Weiss, says, which is think of the fourth sale first. So whenever I'm trying to close a piece of business, I think, um, what, uh, you know, what does this relationship look like in four years? Um, so that's, that's um, such oh, an I important like thing. Yeah, I love that expression, thinking of the fourth sale first. So when we say, you know, honesty is the best policy, we, we truly mean that. And, um, and I do go in to say, yes, you know what, you can be successful in the short term lying to your prospects. There are car salespeople who, are lie, who lie. There are real estate agents who lie. There are software salespeople who lie. There are, you know, agricultural salespeople who lie, um, some more blatant than others. And they get the business and they cash their checks, uh, but they don't last very long. So, um, you know, we're, we don't advocate that because as a business owner especially, we want to make sure that, our, um, that everything we do is building long-term profits. So, so that's sort of the premise. Um, now, I got all wrapped up in the premise of your question and I forgot what your actual end of the question was. <laughs> Well, it, it was just sim no, it was just simply framed at at uh, you know actually using honesty to get you to the close and and again focusing on growing the business. But I, I think actually you you answered it in the best possible way, um, and and that one's going to stick with me, you know, because if you just said think about the next sale, well, that's different. But the fourth sale, I like that. Yeah, and the other piece there is I think that we need to also remember that uh, sometimes you shouldn't, sometimes the best approach is to say no. Sometimes walking away or giving your customer an out is actually right. the, the, you know, the best thing to do and the most honest thing to do. You know, most salespeople, and I have been notorious this, for this, this took me, you know, pretty, I would say, 90% of my adult life today, um, it took me this long to learn, and that is really trusting your gut. Um, in sales, I'm sure everybody who's ever sold anything who's listening to this um, show right now has had that feeling in their stomach where they think, you know, I really, this is going to be a bad customer. Like, I really want this money, whether it's 100 or $100,000. <laughs> I, I, this is like you're looking at the number and you're thinking, woohoo, ka-ching, you know, I can pay the mortgage, I can buy my Bentley, whatever it is. 
Um, but there's that, that feeling in our stomach that we just know it's not the right fit. And lo and behold, we make the sale and we live to regret it. And we think, why well, didn't I? You know, it's taken me literally, you know, 41 years to realize i got to trust that gut because it always is right. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you're so right. Myself, yeah. You know, it can be costly for those of you listening who are, you know, in business for yourself. That um, is costly. I know that the money seems uh, important at the time, but it can just suck the life out of you if you're not careful. So, so that's another oh, piece exactly. of using honesty yeah. in the sales process. And, you know, in, in consulting, which I, I've been in for 15 years, uh, every single time I've got someone who makes me rewrite my work authorization, more than just a couple of tweaks to the original document submitted to them, it's always a miserable client relationship <laughs> after the sale. And and I know that, and I should just, you know, by the certainly by the second or third, I should just say, you know what, I don't think this is going to be a fit because, you know, history always repeats itself on that front that if they can't be happy with uh, a proposal document, uh, you know, chances of, of them being happy with the work is uh, is slim to none. You know what was, was occurring to me as a, I was hearing you talk about um, about the sale and and about the communication cycle, and I want to talk in a second about the hidden cost of communication breakdowns, which is one of your chapters that kind of jumped off the page mm-hmm. at me. But before that, I, you know, you were saying those of you who sell, we also have a whole lot of people in our uh, in the executive girlfriends group who are on the service side, and mm-hmm. and so they're the ones who have to live with the lie. Right. Oh, and, that's awful. Yeah, and so I think some of the communication breakdowns, and and again, this may not be what you were addressing in your chapter, but can be, you know, this whole tension that exists between the salesperson and the people who actually have to deliver. So maybe yes. before we uh, dive into the communication breakdowns, you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's um. It it is a challenge, uh, you know. I, I like to say to people, don't create you don't create customer service problems for yourself, you know, or you're creating customer service problems, um, and especially in larger organizations where you've got you know the salesperson and then then things are handed off to service delivery. You know, if the salesperson can wash their hands and walk away, then and there's no ramifications. Then, right. <laughs> you know, they're not being um, what do I want, you know they're being incented to to not care as much. Um, you know, in organizations where the sales rep is paid for additional sales or add-on sales or repeat sales, then they do have a vested interest in making sure that relationship um, that relationship is uh, is maintained. So, if I was um, someone in service or implementation or you know that after-sales support, if a customer said to me, "Well, uh, you know, Bob said or Mary said this was the case." Um, you know, I think the first thing that I would do is to say to them, thank you for bringing that to my attention. You know, I wasn't part of the initial initial call, and I certainly don't want to get wrapped up in the middle. Why don't I grab Mary right now, and we can work this out on the phone? Or, you know, you've got to get all parties together. Or or you've got to say, let me go and check in with Mary, and we'll, and we'll get back to you, and you need to go and, and deal with it in a non-confrontational way. You know, hey, Mary, I've got customer ABC on the phone, and this is what they're saying. And then we need to get you know, either into a three-way conversation, or the resolution has to happen in email, where there now is some written, 
written uh, backup. You know, it's interesting in um, in uh, in a really great book on service called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. He, Danny Meyer owns a number of restaurants in New York, very high end, and then a couple of great uh, burger shacks in Florida and uh, New York. He uh, he talks about service and how when you put something in front of the customer, if it's not right, you know, maybe the customer says, I ordered that medium rare, and it's not to their liking. Whether you're right or not as the service um, worker, the first thing you do is remove the offending object because you can't solve the problem while the customer is looking at the mess in front of them. You know, and and I thought that that was such an interesting, you know, analogy. There's many things that you can do in the non-restaurant world that are the same way, and I think that one of the things we do is we thank them for bringing it to our attention as opposed to saying, I'm sorry, which is what everyone expects us to say, which has no meaning, or try to fight them on it. But, you know, if we just say thank you for bringing that to my attention, I, you know, I'm glad or I appreciate you being honest or I appreciate you being open with me so that we can resolve this for you, you immediately, um, you know, get them on side with you and working with you as opposed to battling against you. Hmm, very interesting. You know, uh, it, it's easy to see that in the restaurant example of remo- removing the offending object, but uh, I, I think that, that's, that it's a little bit uh, uh, less easy to see in, in a confrontational uh, situation with a client. But you, you brought up something that I'd like to hit on, and again, I'd like to kind of delve into this communication breakdown issue and, and the cost of that, because you talked about the use of email um, and, mm-hmm. and I think you alluded to kind of documenting what is agreed to verbally. Um, yeah. And, you know, yet we all know how easy it is for uh, email as a, a vehicle for, for carrying information back and forth between people, how easily mm-hmm. communication can break down even when we think we've written something really well and in a non-offensive way. I mean, I, I have a... Yeah. A, a practice that I've, if I've written an email more than a paragraph, um, you know, yeah. I typically read it three or four times to, you know, try to put myself yeah. in the other person's shoes to see how they're going to receive it. Um, Good and, idea. And still, you know, still it doesn't always work. So uh, there no. is a cost to communication breakdown. So how how did you uh, hone in on that in that chapter? Well, you know, to your point, and just on this specific issue. Um, I would never advocate trying to solve the problem by email. I think you have to do that on the phone and then say to them, great, so what I will do, you know, so so we agree that A, B, and C are the resolutions. Customer verbally says yes. And say, so what I'm going to do is just put that in an email so you've got a copy of it and I've got a copy of it. So you already have their verbal agreement and sort of the language based on what you said on the phone. So then your email can be a little bit more casual. You're not, it's not, you're not still in the middle of the problem. It's, hey, you know, thanks so much for working with me on a resolution. I think I've got this right. What we agreed to do is step one, two, three. You know, let me know if um, if that's what you remember as well or I just want, you know, double check and that that's what your assessment was. But you're guaranteed to have a positive result then as long as you've got that verbal commitment on the phone. But don't try to uh-huh. hash it out over email. Oh, you're right, so bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's death. <laughs> so, so speaking of death, uh, my favorite chapter is actually the opposite of that. Be a life giver. Oh yes. 
Um, yeah, I I love this chapter. Um, you know, I talk. People really resonate when I when I give them my you know simple fact and um, simple categorization of humans. You're either a life giver or a life sucker, and we all know who those life suckers are in our lives because they're right. people that make us feel awful after interacting. In sales, I truly believe. You know, well, I could say this in sales, in service, in dating. You know, in our family, our friend relationships. If people don't feel better after interacting with you than they did when the interaction started, you are eroding the relationship, eroding rapport, eroding um, trust, and all of those things that cause people to want to be with you. Um, so I think in sales, uh, I mean, I would just say in life, we, we have to do take two things into consideration. One, we need to align ourselves or associate ourselves with those people who make us feel better. Um, we don't want to leave an interaction, whether it be a lunch or a party or a business interaction, feeling, you know, exhausted, like we've had the life sucked out of us. <laughs> those people are not good for our spirit and our energy. Um, but we also can't be that person. Um, so we have to be somebody who... Um, gives life to others. Um, we have to be someone who acts in a proactive way, who isn't a victim, um, who takes responsibility and, you know, and takes charge and gets things done. Um, and we have to really focus on our likability. Hmm. Very, very good. Well, Colleen, the time has just absolutely flown by, and I want to be mindful of, of your time. But I would like to share uh, just some of the names of the remaining chapters for our listeners. But, you know, again, I think you've just approached things so practically and uh, so uh, such thought-provoking oh, you. words you've used in your chapter title. So let me just share some of the rest of these. Getting the truth from everyone Referral selling, ensuring honest relationships from the start, getting the start of your or the start of your selling relationship getting started with an honest foot forward, close more sales by acknowledging your clients, the honest way to close more sales, more questions and questions, turning one a one-time client into a lifetime client, and remembering to practice honesty. Internally, that one. Um, I bet we could have a whole call on that one. <laughs> so, why don't yeah. you just share, share a little bit from the last chapter, which is some final thoughts, uh, and if you could just leave our listeners with uh, some thoughts about why honesty sells, which is the title of your book. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you know, I um, I think that you know, in business, whether you're in a selling. In, you know, you're a seller or a service person or whether you just read a book like this for, uh, for your own uh, personal um, development, we have to remember that, you know, the, the best, richest, most profitable, and I don't just mean that from a money standpoint, but a most, you know, emotionally and spiritually standpoint, relationships come from those long-term relationships that, that we're developing. And we enjoy those people that we have the deepest relationships with. And so that's what being honest is all about. Um, nothing is worse to um, our own success, personally and professionally, to be incongruent with who we are or to have thoughts and feelings gnawing away at us that we don't feel like we can communicate effectively to other people. And we certainly don't want to erode relationships and leave, you know, 
a trail of bodies in our wake as we as we cut through our business right. or our personal lives. And so really that's why this, this book um, is important, I believe. And, you know, we put sort of everything that we had into it, but we really don't also believe that uh, – that A, you need to use everything, you know, don't go out and, and buy it and try to adopt every single chapter all at once or you'll, um, uh, you know, hurt yourself. <laughs> but pick pick one or two things, you know, decide, well, I'm going to try chapter nine, the referral selling, that's so important to me, or I'm going to work on um, disassociating myself with the life suckers um, in my office. I'm going to stop one-upping people. I'm going to ask questions and be focused on my customers instead of being focused on myself. And I think that you'll find that you'll have a tremendous business success. Um, you know, if there's one, one premise that you could take from this book um, that I think could make a huge impact on your life personally and professionally is this concept of not making assumptions. And, and the, the question or the statement I like to say to people and I'll leave you with is, yeah, you know what, you might be right, but you might be wrong. And what is the cost of being wrong? So, you know, is it worth it just to ask a question, clarify that assumption, and move forward with the truth as opposed to moving forward with what you think might be the truth? Hmm. Well, Colleen, I can't wait to read the rest of the book. And, uh, again, her book is Honesty Sells. And, uh, Colleen, what's the best place for them to find you? Um, well, they can find us in a couple of places. Um, EngageSelling.com is our website and, and my um, sales consulting practice. And, of course, HonestySells.com is, uh, is where we do some um, highlighting on the book, but the book is also available on our website. Um, and so they can they can Google me or <laughs> okay. go to EngageSelling.com. I'm more than happy to take um, any questions or um, any comments about the book. Well, great. We will do that. And um, for those members of the Executive Girlfriends group on our private platform, uh, Colleen has a profile, and we will make sure that all of her contact information is there for you in case you're listening to this on iTunes or when you're out for a walk in the morning, uh, which we encourage people to do. And, uh, again, Colleen, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, do we have any questions? I know we have a couple of people uh, listening live today, so I want to make sure if you do have any questions that you uh, can go ahead and take advantage of Colleen being with us. Make sure to take your phone off of mute if you do. Well, Colleen, I have no questions. This is Michelle. But okay. um, it, it sounds wonderful, But and thank you for your time. Um, I oh my pleasure. It's great to be here. Coming coming from the timeshare uh, background, honesty. You know the the whole industry has a reputation for for being plagued with um, you know maybe not so honest uh, relationships, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful just to to hear and and think about you know what those relationships are like, or you know what we can do with relationships and where the value is. So. Yes, that's very yeah, good. You're, you're right. Good, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, terrific. Anybody else? Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and turn off the recorded portion of the call. We do spend a little bit of time at the end of our Executive Girlfriends group call each week just uh, catching up and hearing the high points of. Uh, 
people's weeks. So, uh, Colleen, you're welcome to stay with us. And uh, any time you would like to join us for a Friday call, you are more than welcome. Uh, oh, thank you to, very much. Uh, join us as as a member of AG. I believe that Patty sent you uh, the login information for our private platform, and yes, we use the same phone phone number every week. So, uh, I oh, guess okay. you'll have to use your cell phone from Canada. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I, know I, moved, I moved to Miami in about six weeks for the winter, so I'll be down in Florida. So, it'll be oh, easier. cool. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. well. Uh, <laughs> Terrific, because I will probably be in Miami. Well, I'm definitely going to be in Miami in two weeks because I'm speaking at a a, uh, a user conference. But uh, I get down there fairly frequently because I live in Tampa. So, oh, wonderful. Well, when you're down the next time, uh, I won't be down until probably November first. But just yes, yeah, send us an email. It'll be fun to get together. Definitely. All right. Well, again, I'm going to turn off the recording now, and just I will be right back with everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.